heavy track today. Yeah, not vibing risky lettuce, getting sinker vibes. I don't know, says on the Tab app she's firming. Don't just vibe it, get expert tips in Tab's new race feed. Tab, we're on. What are you really gambling with? Welcome to RSN's Racing Pulse. Imperatrice called upon, still three lengths in front, and the Tangerine Tsunami's going to do it again. Imperatrice won it well. Without a fight, runs on, lays in on top of Gold Trip. West Wind blows 100 to go. Without a fight, coming at it. Without a fight, West Wind blows. The heads in unison. Without a fight, without a fight from the Caulfield Cup. Romantic Warrior, Mr. Brightside, still alligator blood. Breaking racing news, the stories, opinion, the mail, and the people who make racing happen. Here's Matt Stewart. Morning, everyone, and welcome to The Verdict on Racing Pulse. Lots to talk about. It's going to be a very... We're going to just sit back and applaud for most of the show because we're still in Equinox awe this morning after his extraordinary win in the Japan Cup yesterday. It's just great to see the best absolutely whack him, and that's what Equinox did in the Japan Cup. Michael Felgate was live on site he actually took the old, you know, the video. Is, instead of watching it, the old video as the horse went past from the from the grandstand. So uh, he was very privileged to have seen Equinox yesterday. We're going to rekindle that uh, with Michael Felgate this morning. Kieran Maher, of course, did what Kieran Maher did. Win, wins everything. Won the Cranbourne Cup. Won the uh, won the Gong as well. We're going to have a chat to him about uh, Charterhouse and also his big win in the Gong as well up at uh, Newcastle. Uh, reflect on the Guineas and Railway in Perth. And then there's some issues that are really bubbling along at the moment. Kilmore was lost yesterday. Brad Bishop, who's with me, was formerly on the committee there, I uh, I believe. Is that right, Brad? Uh, committee at Seymour. Seymour. But, uh, Kilmore's actually the closest track to home now, so... Uh, I knew you, you were somehow close to yeah. Kilmore, yeah. So I wonder whether we're getting to a fork in the road with all these cancellations. What does the future hold? Matt Welsh from Racing Victoria is going to join us when we have that conversation about... We had Tatura, we had Witchy Proof, we had Alexandra, we had Yay. How many is so many that we have to really rethink this whole nature of these country clubs and country venues and rationalisation? I know it's a terrible word, the R word, but where are we headed with all these cancellations? Interesting story about the VRC and its impending deal with uh, Channel 9 and Tabcorp. Uh, we're going to have a chat to John Stensholt uh, from the Australian about that interesting story in the Oz today. We're also going to have a chat about uh, the VRC and its bid to take the date of the Cranbourne Cup from Cranbourne, which was a pretty good success on the weekend. We're going to have a chat to Neil Bainbridge, the CEO there. Heaps and heaps to talk about, lots of issues, lots going on. Shark's with us as well. How are you, Sharknado? Good, Matty. Another Nirvana t-shirt day for you. I like it. I revealed Very it after good. removing the jumper too, so I made a bit of a scene of it, you know. Yeah, Look at okay. this, boys. I like it. What do you got? Under, what do you got under the... Um, People, uh, people who wear those things usually go around and rob 7-Elevens, you know, what you're wearing. What a Laneva Park hoodie. Well, you, Bish, what do you got? I haven't got, got a Laneva Park hoodie. You have to put my order in there. Bish has got his uh, racing and sports shirt on too, so we're all he does. Official. We're all, we're all, we're all branded. official today. We're, we're yeah. branded up and, yeah. and ready to go. Yeah, I was the little known sixth band member of Nirvana, of course. Um, Equinox, boys. Felgate's going to join us shortly, but what, what did you think? No. Bish? Yeah, well, it was head spinning, wasn't it? You sort of hoped you w- w- that we were going to see a bit of a clash, but 
it never really eventuated. It was a fascinating race to watch with Panthalassa doing Panthalassa things, but you could tell a long way out that Equinox was the one that was absolutely bolting and um, was going to be very, very hard to beat. Now, I... Uh, I tapped into the gurus at work just to put a bit of a get like try and get a ratings um, analysis of this, and obviously the it was an hour after the race, so we we don't have any definitive numbers. So is it a, a ratings analysis compared to other yeah. rates? Well, or? Adam Blinko has tried to put it into perspective for me. I said D- just dumb it down to a guy that isn't as into the ratings as what you are, and he said, well. Think about it this way, Liberty Island, the only uh, filly that Australia has produced this century that has got ratings that stack up with Liberty Island is Atlantic Jewel. Yep. So he uh, said that, think Samantha Miss or Arcadia Queen, that was... That's Liberty Island, mm-hmm. and Equinox has absolutely brained her. So it's a good way to sort of put it into perspective around some fillies that we think were pretty good, uh, but they would be absolutely no match for uh, Equinox. Shark, I've got my own little global all-time rankings in my mind. Flightline 1, Equinox 2, Secretariat 3, Frankel 4. Uh, yeah, I guess it's what we witness with our own eyes to a degree. I still think Frankel's the best I've seen and seeing him live was something else and then as a stallion being able to get up close to him was as close to racing perfection for me as it gets. But Equinox, I've loved the, the, the road to the Japan Cup. You know, there were a couple of wins there where he didn't go and knock it out of the park by six or eight lengths. You know, he just got the job done building towards what you knew was going to be the grand final, right? The biggest race. Any race in the world where Panthalassa runs is going to be exciting to watch because of his take-no-prisoners Lead at all costs, go hard or go home. Would that, would that run of Panthalassa have won most Cox plates? Could you imagine what he would have done to them in a Cox plate had that horse... Am I wrong? Am Jimmy I getting a bit carried away with yeah, the difference he, between that? I, I just watched the race and I come, when he came to the 600, I thought, well, how far in front would you be in a Cox plate? <laughs> this would probably hang on. But he can sustain... That's the thing. Uh, you make a great point about he'd probably hang on. He can sustain an effort, mm. that horse. He mm. really can. It's his mm. absolute strength. He's ridden that way because that is his strength. He can go along so quickly and his his aerobic capacity must be just enormous. Yeah, I'd love to so see... So to have the, him set that race yeah. up, to come around the turn, seven, eight, nine lengths in front, and you know he's going to get a little bit tired with the great horse chasing, but Equinox got out and just got into the fluency of stride and just gobbled him up and then off that tempo to mm. charge away mm. like he did. Mm. You sit there scratching your head and go, what on earth are we and watching? And there was a little bit left in the tank too, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah. Well, there I'd love to – I'm not sort of talking about phenomenal an race. autopsy or something, but I'd love to I'd love to see what's under the bonnet there and, and, and really see what's under the bonnet. Like, you know what I mean, in a biological sense. I want to see those lungs. I want to see that heart. I want to see how everything sort of works together to produce – Equinox, because it's sort of otherworldly, isn't it? Just some SMSs that are going to set the scene. Exactly right. Exactly. Uh, Matt and Sharkey, Equinox would have given Franklin Winks Winburn from Harry, mm, possibly right. Probably. It's always bittersweet watching these superstar stallions go around knowing their retirement is imminent, and that is so interesting. You know what I noticed? Looking at the form guide, with him and 
the runner-up out of Yankee Rose, they'd had something like seven starts and five starts between them. There's got to be something to be said for preserving them for race day and and, sh- and letting them explode on race day, but 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 save their energy otherwise. Like mm. our greats have fifty and sixty starts half the time, don't they? So interesting. Well, they go chasing that that big money, and those, mm. there's so many options now. Uh, yeah, boys. we do love racing them on that fortnightly turnaround, don't we? Which I think is why without a fight's prep was refreshing this time around, this spring. No, exactly right. And I just, yeah, as I said, I just think they don't waste energy with their horses. Uh, Falgate's on the line. We'll get him just in two seconds. Morning, boys. What did you make of the Kilmore meet getting caught off? Another Country Cup debacle. We are going to have a chat to about that amongst ourselves. There's a lot of SMSs about that. And we're going to have a chat to Matt Welsh from RV. Just about the basic structure of... Uh, the preparation of these tracks for the country meetings. RV and Kilmore example yesterday, another total embarrassment. I have personally had a gutful of paying up and preparing horses for races only to have them called off. Uh, so, you know, this is the this is the sort of uh, emotion that's out there about these cancellations, so we really want to tackle it this morning. Uh, let's have a listen to... I know he was a three out of tenner, the race caller. Oh, shocking call. <laughs> well, have a listen to that, and then Felgate will light us up with, a, with, with something more impressive than the race call. But here's Equinox. Here's Equinox, the big white face on Equinox, the son of Kinasan Black. He's in the clear. It's going to be such an easy win indeed into the closing stages. It's Equinox under Christoph Lemire. It's a champion jockey, a champion horse up to the line. Equinox wins it from Liberty Island in second stars on Earth. Then came to James Title Holder next. Vela Reserve in with Vela Reserve. Honestly, feels like the race caller fell ill and they plucked a random out of the crowd. And who did it? If that was the case, he did a good job. He well, does it every week, though, this bloke. We, we know that. He's the, he's the regular caller. We, it's not like, it's not like he, they just got him uh, to do it on um, Japan Cup Day. We we hear a little bit about him. Well, we know the Felgates open doors wherever they go. You know, there's not there's not a lock or key that keeps them out, right, of, of, of anywhere that uh, Michael and, and Jackie go. I wonder if maybe our, our, our man Michael got a couple of sakis into the race caller before the race. It maybe just got him off kilter a little bit. Did you corrupt the race caller, Michael? Sounded like he needed a couple of sakis, to be honest. Uh, good morning, boys. And there has been a big groundswell of support over here to say, let's do a GoFundMe and get Matt Hill over here to call next year's Japan Cup. Because <laughs> Just without Matt hanging this guy out to dry, who is the race caller? No, I don't know. Okay, don't know his name. Let's move and on. And I think that's why we don't know his name. Um, the atmosphere there was phenomenal yesterday. But in... Look, in, in a little bit of deference to the, the caller, who is the regular Japanese caller, it is a different atmosphere over here. It is a, a an atmosphere of respect and almost a lot of silence. There's not a lot of yelling and yahooing that goes on at the races. Yesterday's Japan Cup, there was quite a lot of um, build-up. They actually, it was like a Melbourne Cup roll when the gates opened because the anticipation for Equinox, which we didn't hear last year... And where we were standing, there was a lot of people that were cheering throughout the entire race. But other than that, it is quite incredible when you walk around the race course, the silence that is on the the course. It is basically very quiet, a little bit like Japanese society itself. When you walk around um, Tokyo, there's a population of, of 13 million people in Tokyo, which is almost half the population of Australia, yet it is the most quiet and respectful place. We get yelled at quite a lot calm down because we're a bunch of rowdy Australians where we go out um, and it's similar on a racetrack it is not a social experience where people go to have um, drinks and catch up it is a place where people want to go and watch the horses punt and find a winner and yesterday 
it was even more so. I, I found it fascinating. I went through a great walk around the track and watched everyone at the mounting yard wanting to get a peek of these horses. I spoke to a young um, Japanese girl who would have been in her 20s um, in broken English and said, how excited are you to be here? And she said, it is unbelievable. And I said, are you, you so happy to see Equinox? And she said, yes. But she said, I'm very keen to see the French horse in the Japan Cup as well. They know they're racing and they love it. You know, it was, it was just an unbelievable experience to be witness to that yesterday. They, they seem to really worship those elite performers. And looking from afar, Equinox in particular has achieved that level of reverence where, you know, you the crowd is there to see, to witness him, to experience him as much as anything else. Would that would that be right? Was that was that the vibe yesterday? A hundred percent. I mean, he was a dollar thirty favourite, so he was probably one of those ones where it was. It reminded me of Winx and Black Caviar in recent times, and and in the end, it was almost a little bit like the Maccabi Diva Third Melbourne Cup after mm. the race with Christophe Lemaire bringing him back along the crowd and him bursting into tears because of the emotion and the pressure of everything, yeah. it felt like one of those really special moments. And most people think that's probably the last time we'll get to see him. I know they haven't declared that. There's some hope that he'll have one more run on, on Christmas Eve. But I think most people feel that that's the last time we're going to see um, Equinox. And what a way to go out. It was his sixth Group 1 win. And the... Um, Japan Racing Club, they could have they could have sold 160,000 tickets. That's how many people applied for the tickets. But mm. I was talking yesterday to one of the officials and there's still a little bit of, I suppose, COVID um, concern here. They capped the tickets at, at 85,000. And what they normally do is it's $2 a ticket. They, <laughs> they increased the price to $10 a ticket local um, because they thought if we're going to have 85,000 people here, we want to make sure that um, we can make some money out of it. But um, when you think of what we spend uh, or what we charge during our spring carnival, um, it's it's very, very basic fare because you're not getting anything other than just the racetrack experience. There's no marquees, there are, there's no fine dining, um, there's um, local sushi stores, there's a Burger King, you can get a couple of beers, um, but it is very, very um, much um, racing, punting, and that is it. There is no outside atmosphere at the race course and and that almost is is from a racing point of view special we walked into the track yesterday and there was um about 100 people queuing up to get a photo with a horse and we walked over there and said what's what's this horse and it was an old retired horse who had been a group one winner that they just had in a in a horse stall there um not a superstar but a group one winner and they were all here like um, taking photos and selfies with this horse because they're like, oh, we got to see this group one winner that's on track today. Yeah, it's amazing. If they, it's Incredible it's respect, here. isn't it? If they send Armand Ida Equinox, the foal might be born with wings. Um, if only it was that simple in the breeding world, Mr. Mm. Leneva Park. Uh, yes. Uh, how do the times Equinox is, is running compared to Frankel or Winks? It's a bit apples and oranges, but I think they'd be yeah. thunderously, uh, you know, smashing the clock. There's no doubt about that. Uh, is it a... Uh, I'm not sure it's a race day that I would totally enjoy if it's all that sort of sombre, silent, sort of no bars and sort of... And, and being the 12th of 12th races, Michael, is it a long day? Oh, uh, yes, it is. And look, I'll be brutally honest with you. We didn't get to the track until race number five because the first race is on at 9.30am local time. Um, so race one, 9.30, race... Um, uh, 12 of 12 at 3.40, and that's because of 
we're almost in winter in Jap in Japan, so it gets very dark very quickly. But um, a lot of people still hung around for the presentation ceremony. Um, but it's like when we had that debate in, in Melbourne about do we put our group on races as the last race, I think it almost lost a little bit because a lot of people do leave and you've got the, the world's best horse, arguably the greatest horse Japan's ever seen, um, and not everyone remained on course for the presentation um, and um, the post-race press conferences, which they set up in the mounting yard. What I will say is I got to go down into the mounting yard for race number seven where um, the half-sister to Equinox um, was in the mounting yard and Christophe Lemaire was riding. We had a chat with Christophe. Um, the half-sister got beaten, actually, at $1.50, unfortunately, for those who took the multi into Equinox. Um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, The multi-disease continues in the Northern Hemisphere correct. for Felgate. Yep. Correct. But it was so quiet. And uh, Danny O'Brien came down there um, and he was chatting to a few of the local trainers. We saw... Um, uh, Mr. Yahagi down there and a few others, but we were both commenting on how little atmosphere there was. It was so quiet and it was so well organised, but there wasn't a buzz, which is what we get in Melbourne during the Spring Carnival because for, for the Japanese Racing Association, the Japanese racing fans, it's not about um, hype and buzz, it's about just the actual performance. So it is such a stark difference to an Australian race day. Met a couple of Aussie boys who were there, um, good listeners to RSN as well. We had a chat to them. So uh, definitely put it on your bucket list. It is a, a race meeting that you want to go to, but it's not a Royal Ascot. I've never been to a Kentucky Derby, but I can tell you it would be nothing like that, and it wouldn't be like a, a Hong Kong um, international meeting. It is a different atmosphere, but it is certainly one that is for a racing lover and a racing purist, a, a race not to be missed. What about away from the track, uh, Blue Eyes? Is, is it, like, people that come to the Melbourne Spring, they can't believe that racing's front page of the paper on leads the news bulletins and the like, but what about um, Tokyo, the city in general? Is it um, caught up in Japan Cup fever leading up to the race meeting? Well, I think it's a little bit like um, Melbourne because it's it's only a small snapshot of what the entire city is. To be honest... I haven't seen much in the papers other than in the sports section. Uh, And, look, I haven't seen this morning's papers here. Um, We've seen a few big billboards advertising that Equinox and the Japan Cup is on, but we haven't seen too much in regards to um, blanket coverage. Um, Actually, I'm just going to walk over now and have a look at the Japan papers that are down here in the breakfast area. Um, And... He's certainly not on the front page. Um, yeah, there's a story on the back page. Okay. But Equinox dominant in Japan Cup. So, um, I, see, it's it's not as big as what it would be if you want to make the comparison to Melbourne because our biggest race is saturated in general media. But over here, um, he's getting back page coverage, not front page coverage. All right. Well, it's big, but it sort of doesn't burst out of its own bubble a little bit. And I think Royal Ascot's a bit the same here. We, you know, front, back, mid, all sorts of things in the papers. So we do have a very special way, relationship between the racing and the media here. Uh, hey, uh, Michael, thanks, mate. Uh, we'll see you when you get back. And, uh, yeah, I think the replay of the Japan Cup's going to get quite a few runs from uh, from the racing fans around the world. It was absolutely amazing. 
Uh, good on you, boys. And um, there's been a lot of talk over here about the Kilmore situation, so looking forward to you discussing that as well. Oh, just, a, um, just a quick one on, on Equinox with Danny O'Brien there. What was his... Did you get a, his first impression of it, Equinox when, when he crossed the line? What was Danny, from a yeah, horse standing, trainer's point standing, of view? I was standing next to him, and he he was just like, wow, what have we seen? How lucky are we to see that? Mm. Uh, he was he was buzzing. He said that's one of the best performances we've ever seen. Um mm. He was relating it to, um, you know, the likes of Frankel and Flightline that we were discussing yesterday, that, that these world-class modern horses... And let's not forget, too, Danny made the salient point when we were talking after the race that Australia isn't that far behind if you want to take a line through Liberty Island, who is a daughter of Yankee Rose, that we've, we've got bloodlines that are possible to breed a horse that could be competitive like this mm. if we have the right scenario. Like Yankee Rose is an Aussie horse that um, is now the mum of the horse that ran second to the, the freak of Japan racing. So there is that, Sharky, you would know better than me, that glimmer of hope that we've got a lot of the Japanese stallion influence in Australia now. That We've got some mares. Danny O'Brien said he sold Shamrocker, who went to Shadow Stud over here, and a few of his good mares that have come over to Japan. So there is the chance and the opportunity that we've got the bloodlines that could produce maybe not an equinox, but these horses that could be competitive on the world stage with these super strong Japanese bloodlines. I see a fierce impact plug coming up here. <laughs> well, it's not only like Kitasan Black. We've got a, there's a breeder who's got a Kitasan Black filly on our property at the moment. It'd be the only Kitasan Black foal in Australia, I would hazard a guess, but Border mare in Japan got it covered by Kitasan Black with that dream of producing a horse or having something that could, you know, one day maybe get anywhere near what Equinox has got. You know, that that connection point is why he sent the mare there. Well, maybe we um, can breed them, but can we prepare them and preserve them and get the best out of them? Can we, can we get them through the system like well, the Japanese do? We've got... S- some incredible horsemen and women here that I'm sure if they were given the right horse, like the right opportunity, like uh, anything's possible. But, he had, but the, he had the Japanese seven, seven starts equinox. Do we have a trainer in this country that would would play that sort of a game with a with a top class horse? And you know, it, it's it's apples and oranges. Can we can can we do what they do? They have high attrition as well, so it's an interesting comparison. But what we what we're seeing now, and and we've sort of watched from afar, the Japanese thoroughbred evolution when they went and recruited horses like Yankee Rose and stallions from all over the world to go to Japan, improve their stocks. Now, after years of them, particularly Australasia, Asia, dominating that scene, their stallions are now filtering out. You know, Satono Aladdin is airborne in in New Zealand. You know, lands there because probably not a commercial obvious home for him in Australia, which is, what does that say about our breeding? Mm. He's going well. Stefanos, same story, New Zealand. He's starting to really get a roll on and get some momentum up. Maurice here in Australia. Bish, their reach now, it's it's coming back the other way. They were grabbing everything hey, to we'll let you go, Mickey. Uh, we'll now talk to you when you get way. back. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, and as you say, there's more and more of them, and it's not just the, like, Maurice was a, a champion horse on the track. He's probably one of the bigger names coming out here, but the likes of Real Steel as well. Yeah. Some of these other horses that um, and they're not are in, giving options. And they're not in... Like, Maurice was a great horse, but you can't compare him to, to this horse 
we saw yesterday. Yeah, it's it's globally significant the equinox performance. So forget yeah. about. Uh, I know it's a bit of a quiet. Well, it's spot set a, now. it's set a bar for others to aspire ah. to, and it's about how you aspire to get to that bar. I remember Felgate and I were doing the Easter Yearling Sale, and we interviewed John Massara, who's got Morris, and he said his dream as a breeder because he was talking about equinox at the time. He said, "My fantasy, my dream, my ambition is to create the perfect horse," mm. and he said, "The way, the only way I can do that is through Japanese blood." So that was – he knew. He knows. Yeah, at, and at, at what Libby Island shows is it works with Australian mares as well. Mm. So he's on the right track. We're due for a break, boys. I just want to read out a couple of SMSs. This is going to take us up to nine. Kieran Mart was going to join us before, but we got equinoxed. So he's going to mm. come on after. But I'm fascinated uh, to hear from who I regard as the world's greatest trainer at the moment, Kieran Mart. What does he make? I mean, he had Hitotsu, son of Morris. So what did he think of Equinox? Can he make an Equinox? Uh, 221 for 2,400 metres. Equinox would have won the Corfu Cup by 30 lengths. Even Liberty Island's best 2,400 metres for yesterday would have put it over 20 lengths in front of without a fight. Slight apples and oranges. They do have a rolling start timing system, but it gives you an idea. Apparently, the Japanese don't spell their horses, keeping them in work throughout the winter, etc. Hitotsu could have been anything is an SMS here. And there's a heap about track preparation and track cancellations, and that's going to be one of the big talking points today. And we want to hear from you because there's some so many interesting SMSs. 0416905052. Anything, but thinking a little bit more about the uh, track cancellation issue. Matt Welsh is going to join us from RV a little bit later on. Give us a bell uh, and let us know. Have a chat, one three hundred six five two nine two seven. Juppy was on with the Brecky guys earlier and I think he summed it up and we'll, we'll play a replay of his little grab as well, uh, Juppy the bookmaker. Anyway, let's, uh, let's take a break in, and that'll take us into the news and then when we come out, we're going to have a chat to Kieran Ma. Placing their opinion on the line, it's The Verdict. Into the straight at the 300 metres. It's Ascension. It's got a good gap on them. About two and a half to Just Folk pounding here to shock. And they were followed next by Foxy Cleopatra. But it's Ascension. 100 metres to go. Starting to get a little bit tired. And here's Charterhouse over the top. Charterhouse with Foxy Cleopatra. Charterhouse back to its best. Won the Cranbourne Cup from Foxy Cleopatra. Can they uh, train a grand final winner? The Ma Eustace mob. <laughs> Uh, you know, the yes, they can. Gong in Sydney, yeah, a bit of a grand final. Well, we'll just take that out with uh, with a horse that hasn't won for a year and a half. And then Cranbourne Cup, yeah, we'll knock it off with a 20-to-1 shot. When are we going to learn? Karen will tell us. Karen, when are we going to learn about your grand final training techniques? <laughs> how are you? Good, mate. Um, well done. Uh, what was? Uh, how was uh, Kembla Grange? It was pretty good, actually, Kembla. Um uh, it looked like the track was going to be very heavy in testing conditions, but actually race not too bad. And uh, uh, we had a we had a, we started the day well and uh, ended up with the feature in the middle and then finished really well. So it was a it was a pretty good day all in all. Yeah, that's four solid quarters of footy you played uh, on the weekend. There's no doubt about that. Hey, just the vibe at Kimberley Grange. Uh, a lot of talk about um, you know the VRC wanting to take Cranbourne standalone country meeting on Saturday and then of course New South Wales has moved out of town to Newcastle and Kembla Grange and you've got a very good footprint up there at the moment was it a did it feel like a successful standalone day up at Kembla uh it it did um you know it's not it wasn't as big as a a Randwick but I you know I've been to a couple of Cranbourne Cups recently and um uh, it sort of had that sort of feel about it. Um, yeah, I, I think it was uh, it was a reasonably successful day, I would say. 
Kieran Shark here. Uh, I know the Sydney Carnival's got all the, the mega million races and everything. It's probably the obvious answer, but uh, meetings like the Gong on Saturday is that is the placement of those meetings as important in your decision making sort of scheme to move your business into New South Wales? You know, to, for a horse like Detonator Jack to have access to a million dollar race, it's incredible. It probably just reaffirms for you the need to expand into into New South Wales, doesn't it? Meetings like that? Well, that that was sort of our play, you know, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with all these meetings and pop-up races, um, you know, I was speaking to Darren Dance from ATB, uh, who, you know, owns Detonator Jack and runs in his colours, and he just said... How, how can you not? How can we not have the horse there? Like he's the horse hadn't won a race before Saturday, mm. and and um, you know he don't close to two hundred grand his last couple of starts. What flicked, what flicked him around the blinkers? Sorry, the blinkers were they the trick? Uh, he he does love a bit of cut in the track as well. So um, I think the combination the blinkers. You know, he was coming back from 18 to the mile and, you know, he just sort of needed that 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 little that little something like in the five diamonds. He just um, took a little while to get into gear and we just thought it was the right time, especially coming back in trip at that stage of the prep to put him on. And, um, yeah, it, it, it actually made the difference. And the, the track with a bit of gear also... Um, played into his hands as well. And have you learned a little bit about him, Kieran, in regards to w- what is his sweet spot um, at the moment? Like his his races have sort of been between that fourteen hundred and eighteen hundred metre range um, this time around. He, he he ran third in a South Australian Derby at his fourth start, and I think most people thought he was going to be a stayer. But have you worked out that he's he's more of a miler? Yeah, well, you know, he was very very good at the eighteen, and and um, you know he's. He is very, he's obviously good at the mile on the weekend, but he's only lightly raced, actually. He's, if you look at his form, he hasn't done much wrong at all. A um, couple of times he was beaten um, when he was short price favourite here in, in Victoria uh, last time around, but, you know, he, he's just a good horse. You yeah. know, like he's big, strong, um, gelding that's um, sound and. And, yeah, like, you can see him doing what he's doing for another couple of years uh, with no surprise. A couple of those races in Melbourne, tempo was a bit of an issue there as well, uh, and race shape. Hey, Kieran, uh, I, I, we could talk about Charterhouse, uh, but more interested in Declan Bates, uh, just how he's been given that chance prior to Jenny and now at Cranbourne Cup. It, mm. it, might be the, it might be the role that Declan Bates needs? Well, uh, as, as you and everyone else knows, uh, riding is all confidence. And um, you know when when a jock gets their tail up, like you look at Mark Zara, has always been a uh, a um, top of the tri- top tier jockey. But this year he just sort of was in another he was in another sphere. Um, and Deck Bates, you know, similar. You know, he 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 worked hard. He he um, you know was awarded a couple of opportunities and 
taken them with both hands and then, you know, since then, opportunities have come on the back of that. And, uh, you know, he works hard. He's a good rider. And, and uh, as I said, confidence is everything. Declan Bates is a jockey riding with confidence, but we saw in the last a horse whose confidence is up and he looks like he's really going somewhere. Jimmy Starr, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's a ripper, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Ozzy, Ozzy Kerr um, and yeah, Matt Becker, they, they found him in New Zealand and you know they've got their systems, which is, you know, it's been well documented there and their process that they go through. And, you know, he's a... He was very well managed in New Zealand. Um, he was only very lightly raced, and they were very patient with him. And he came out here, and you know, as a four-year-old with only a couple of starts, you don't see that very often. And you know, he's a he's a sound. He come over here fit. We we give him one jump out just to um, just to keep him uh, make sure he was up up to the mark and yeah he was he couldn't have been more impressive first start and he was just as impressive again on again on um, Saturday I know it was a class three at Cranbourne but I was talking to Aussie last week and he just wanted to talk about Jimmy Starr he's very proud of this little recruiting effort uh, with this horse and he's suggesting that it might be his next good one are we is he getting a little bit carried away or do you think there's genuine stakes class potential in this horse uh, I think there is. Um, he's a he's a neat horse, but um, yeah, I I could see him, you know, getting into a decent handicap at some stage, um, you know, uh, in a good race and 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 going well. He's got all the credentials, you know. He he's as you've seen first start. He can go through a field. He can take a position. Um, he can get back. Um, yeah, he's just a. Yeah, I think he's. You know, when you see those those progressive horses winning, sort of. Uh, like you said, it's only a class three. But when you see him win with that little bit of arrogance, mm-hmm. um, generally they. You know, it wouldn't be any surprise to see him get there. What, what's the remainder of the the prep look like for him this time in? Oh, I'm just going to see how he is, whether he has another one now. Uh, being a four-year-old, um, you know, as a three-year-old, you can you can win a race like that and then raise the bar into a stakes race. But as a four-year-old, you sort of got to go through your grades. So uh, we'll just see how he comes through. He, he he might have another one and then probably a reset for a for an autumn or something like that. We're with Kieran Ma on Racing Pulse. He won the two big ones across two states on the weekend. Kieran, bigger picture stuff I want to talk to you about while we've got you. Uh, one, Equinox, your impressions. I'm sure you must have seen the, the race. What sort of a bar has been set here? Can we reach that bar? I know you had a great experience with Hitotsu. And the one I want to start with, though, it's a, it's the subject du jour today is the cancellation of all these country race meetings here. I know New South Wales loses a lot of the bottom end ones and the picnics and so on, but Kilmore yesterday. I know you had runners, Mount Witchy Proof. We had a couple of picnic meetings, Tatura. Uh, are we coming to a, a fork in the road with the amount of country tracks we have and the ability to maintain them and so on? Have, has it been a frustration to your stable to not be so not be sure about whether these meetings will, will go ahead? Uh, well, it, it's, it's frustrating for everyone, you know, like especially when you're 
um, you know, you get staff and horses and and um, wages, and everyone gets their horses there, and then the race is called off. Called off. It's it's extremely frustrating. Um, um, yeah, you know, like whether it's whether it's just a um, a management thing or whether it's the the issue, uh, whether it's the the weather. I suppose it's it's a debate that probably needs to be had, but. Um, yeah, it, it is a bit frustrating, and and uh, Equinox. I think you touched on if I, 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 you know, he's just a freak. I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've had a horse that's any anywhere near as good as that. And uh, you know, I hope I hope they take on the the best in Europe because it would certainly. It would certainly make the race. How do we make an Equinox here? At the uh, Sydney Easter sales, we were talking to John Massar and he said his dream, his last remaining dream as a breeder is to produce the perfect horse and he knows he can only do it with Japanese blood and I know you had a, a dabble with it with, uh, you know, the likes of Hitotsu. Um, do we have the setup here to create a horse like that or do we get too urgent? I mean, he's had seven starts. Is there something in that? Well, what do we have to do to, to play catch up on these international super horses, do you think? Well, I don't think we have to do much. I think Black Caviar <laughs> was uh, probably of its equal, um, just that race over a shorter trip. Yeah, uh, I think Winks was probably of its equal, but races over a shorter trip. Um, Equinox is a yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just one out of the box, you know. It's like a Frankel, you know. It's like a you know those horses that are you 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 probably see. Um, once or twice a decade, you know. As a horseman, what do you see when you see Equinox? Like, we're just mugs in the stand who see this thing galloping away. Like, through your lens, though, through your eye, is there something about him that, that you might pick up that we may not? No, it's just, it's like any of those horses that, that as I just mentioned, they can just hold hold a maximum speed for longer, a lot longer than the average, which, um, you know... They're, they're probably not that much faster in terms of kilometres per hour, but they can just hold their top speed for longer. They've just got a bigger engine, bigger system, and, that's and what, he's, but, yeah. he's got all the all the um, you know he's a big, strong horse. He's got a lovely action, you know, and, and seems to have a very good temperament. So he's got it all. Speaking of sustaining a gallop for longer, the, the biggest race on the calendar is coming up next Sunday at Warrnambool. Mm-hmm. So what have you got? <laughs> uh, we, um, Mr. Fabulous is our, is our uh, banner horse for, and hopefully he is, hopefully he is Mr. Fabulous uh, next weekend. But, um, um, yeah, that, that, that is right at the other end of the stamina test. As well. <laughs> it is indeed. Hey, uh, well done on the weekend to you and Dave and the team. I know it's a big organisation now, so you've got to keep feeding the beast and uh, those results really help. And, and then off to Warnable. Uh, we'll see you down there for the, uh, for the Jericho, mate. Uh, yeah, no, it should be a great weekend. Good on you, mate. Kieran Maher there, who did have a weekend out. He, he knows how to find a winner of, a, of an important race on any weekend. Shark. Saturday, Sunday alone, 24 runners for the stable mm. around... The eastern seaboard, largely, uh, it's it's some sort of management task alone. Just just the getting your head around 
that sheer number of... Where would it fit in globally, Bish? The scale of Mar Eustace compared to Godolphin, compared to Aidan O'Brien, compared to Cox in America, like, is, is it the biggest outfit in the world? Yeah, well, I suppose if you're talking Godolphin and you combine with the horses they've got in Australia and horses they've got in the Northern Hemisphere, it's, it's probably more. But in terms of here in Australia, it's a phenomenal operation and... The amount of people that work there is unbelievable, and he probably needs that many just to coordinate it. Uh, coordinate it because he's got multiple stables down here in Victoria. He seems to be burgeoning in New South Wales as well. Got the Warwick Farm stables on course, and the the farm out at Bong Bong. So there's no signs of it slowing down. You'll win the Bong Bong Cup next year. You can put that one in there. <laughs> well, he certainly would have a horse that would be suitable to run in it at some point, you would but, think. But that's the thing. That you many you can them. understand the expansion of the business, can't you, when there's races like, like well, race meetings like we saw at, at Kembler on the weekend. It's one thing to have a base in Victoria with numerous stables and send them up on a road trip. But the advantage to be had by campaigning horses in a different jurisdiction, having them settled, target races leading up to it, it's a luxury, but it's also very smart business, particularly when you're the size of Kieran Ma Racing. You need those options to keep the cogs turning, yeah, to we, keep the, the prize money coming in, don't you? He can't just – you can't think he's he's a Victorian lad, he's a Victorian trainer, he's got to target the best races here in Victoria. You've got to broaden your horizons, and that's exactly what he's doing. It's a national brand, isn't it, really? Yep. Well, when you think of the brand of it now, he's it's just expanding up that eastern seaboard. So like we haven't really had a stable – do that in this sort of size for a while, have we? I think back to when I was a kid, uh, the Ingham's colours, you mm. know, the, those you'd see them in Queensland, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and their brand, it, yeah. it was always there. Yeah. No, no. He, well, the next step for Kieran Maher, and, and he will do this, he'll find a way, is the international stable. He'll have something in Dubai or something like that. Hey, just before... You, I, I also reckon the uh, New South Wales Trainers Premiership, I, I mm. think... He, what they're doing up there at the moment is all building towards becoming the number one stable up there as well, mm. not just in Victoria. And I think if you really chipped away at him, he'd probably tell you that that was an ambition as well. Mm. Uh, we've got a bit of a problem with the Sonos speaker and app, according to a, a, a listener here. So on the on the RSN app, can we get, get that something happening there? Huge amount of uh, SMS activity about Cranbourne Cup Day v Flemington. Even bigger. What are we doing about these constant washouts? Is it just a, is it is it just a, something that's happening at the moment and we're overreacting or? Do we have a fork in the road? Uh, people who went to Kilmore yesterday absolutely spewing that they they missed out late in the day. Uh, the tracks are a joke. Trying to prepare them for a good four to get a few, and they get a few drops, and they're already full of water. Stop watering country tracks. The drainage is totally different. Uh, and the little men, here we go. I should read these. And the little men just get on with it. It's heavy in one spot. That's from Joel. That's a common theme. Is are we getting too delicate with the way we want them to prepare these traps? Tracks they can't do it and then they fail, should we set up a much more simple task? So all of that coming up, we're going to have a chat to... Uh, uh, coming up on the show, we might we might divert. We might go to the West after the break and have a chat to Steve Parnham, who uh, who rode uh, uh, the Guineas and also the Railway Stakes winners on Saturday. So great effort there. Neil Bainbridge from Cranbourne's going to join us to talk about uh, the Cranbourne Cup standalone meeting. We're going to reflect on the VRC bid. Debbie Weymouth. Uh, one at Hillsville yesterday, Debbie and Beck combined, so we're going to have a chat to the legend. There's that interesting story about the VRC and the Tabcorp deal through Channel 9 that 
I've read three times and only half understand, so that, thank God for John Stensholt. He's going to join us after 10. Adam Crettenden, Warren Huntley finding us winners later in the day. We'll take a break, but keep the SMSs coming through. 0416 90 50 52. RSN's Racing Pulse. This is The Verdict. Five down led. Zip away. Quickly on terms with it, though. Headed it off. And Stevie Parnham went for home. It kicked away on Zip Away Investment Strategy. Super Smink coming down the outskirts of the track. It's Zip Away with 100 to go. Super Smink. A lot of good men coming from the clouds. Zip Away's in front. Super Smink can't get to Zip Away. And Zip Away has won it. Zip Away, like father, like son, wins the guineas. Comfort me on the outside. Sticks on. Bustler comes to the outside. Tricks of the tray getting up near the fence. Al Safina's into the clear. Further back is Roots. Maracino joined by Bustler. Bustler hits the front down to the 100. Race is clear. Al Safina's in pursuit. But Bustler's going to win the railway. It's Bustler. Bustler for the Parham Stable beat Al Safina. Well, there was a lot going on in the West. There's more Parnums over there than there are 20-foot Great Whites. And uh, it was the case of Neville and son Stephen on this occasion. But there was more to it as well with playing God. Now, he's a son of God has spoken, I think, too. And I think Neville Parnum trained both of them. This is a, a cobweb of intrigue as Steve Parnum joins us. Well done, mate. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, a big result on so many levels, wasn't it? Father and son, and then the the connection to the sire as well. It was uh, and across both big races. Yeah, you couldn't imagine a bigger day out. Yeah, it was a truly memorable day for from us. Um, a day that I, I dream of. Um, our railway stakes, the most prestigious race that we have over in in the west, and a race that I've always wanted to win, and finally be able to do that. Steve McSharkey here. Tell us about playing God. <laughs> He's a horse that we only saw briefly uh, over in Victoria when he, he was racing. He guineas, didn't he, one year? Uh, Australian Cup, I reckon. Was he, ran was. Th- he ran third in the Australian Guineas and then third in the Australian yeah. Cup. Yeah. He had a couple other stints out here uh, over in Victoria as well, but that was probably the best one as a three-year-old. And he was stable at the Hazes at, at the Flemington, I remember. Were you out here, how, were you too young to be riding playing God, Steve? No, 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 I rode playing God. Yep. He was mine. Um, I... Yeah, uh, I won two Kingston Town Classics on him. Um, he, he won a Guineas. He was a tremendous um, horse. Uh, helped my career just um, sort of pick up and get going. Um, I unfortunately couldn't ride him in the Australian Guineas in the Australian Cup because I had a fall in the week before and broke my collarbone. So, um, but I, I rode him in his preparation uh, as a four-year-old in Melbourne where he he placed, I think, in a Turnbull and fourth in a Maccabi Debra. He was always thereabouts. Um, he, was a, he was a really good horse. And he's been an incredible stallion, hasn't he? Obviously, you know, side two major winners on Saturday over there, but he stakes winners to, to runners ratios up over 9%. He, he's, he's just been an incredible uh, addition to the West Australian breeding industry. Yeah, he's brilliant. As he was a racehorse, he's... he's he probably wouldn't have expected him to be as as good a sire as what he's actually become, and he's very versatile. He can produce mm. a sharp sprinter, or he can produce a middle distance horse as well. He's had Derby winners, um, two year old. Like he's just done everything. So um, for me to have that connection of riding him and knowing him intimately as a as a horse, and now I'm riding his progeny. Mm. Uh, uh, KC was a, another one who's, who won a Group One race um, as a playing god, you know. So it's just been—I don't know—the the connection's just um, 
quite amazing. Those two winners on Saturday, do either of those two remind you of um, playing God in any particular way? Um, <clears throat> sorry, I always felt Buster was a little bit like playing God. He's not as big and strong as him, but um, that electrifying turn of foot that uh, he showed on Saturday was something that playing God was able to do in, the, in a race. So um, zip away, it's probably not quite the same. He's a little bit more gangly and um, uh, just efficient on his feet, you know, so he's just, just a nice horse. But, um, yeah, the, he just is able to produce a, a different array of animals, but, you know, good ones. Well, mate, you did a great job, and uh, there is such great connections between sire and grandsire and you and your dad and uh, and the whole family. Does the family have a an interest in playing God at stud? No, um, he was uh, so my dad didn't actually own him; it was owned by um, Colin Loxton, and he sold him to Mungrup Stud here to begin with, and uh, that that got and on sold again. So um, I think. I'm not sure if there's any like, service deals or something that he, he may still obtain, but um, as far as ownership, there's, there's no part in that. Hey, the pillars are getting bigger and better as we move on in the next few weeks. Uh, how are you shaping up? You're going to be front and centre? I hope so. Well, started off well. Um, these two horses will obviously go on to another race. Um I'd expect Zipaway to front up in the northerly stakes in two weeks' time, and Bustler could uh, potentially go to the northerly stakes or freshen back up to the Gold Rush. I'm, I'm not too sure which direction Dad's going to head with them. So um, it'd be nice if they separated, then I wouldn't have to make a decision to which one I ride. But um, yeah, they're, they're the two headline acts that I've got. Well, if they don't get separated, if they do get separated, there's another partner waiting in the wings probably to, to take the ride. Hey, good on you, mate. Well done. That's a huge day uh, to pull off that double on with such a great family connection with playing God. So well done. Hope you, hope you really enjoyed the night on Saturday night and uh, best of luck over the next few weeks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It was great. Thanks for having me. Steve Parnham there. They are an amazing family. Uh, now, we're just going to move on to the issue of the Cranbourne uh, meeting on Saturday. They had a standalone cup. It was the third they've had. Uh, they're looking for real continuity in that huge growth area down there. But there is this cloud hanging over them with the VRC applying uh, to take that date in the future. And that's now before Racing Victoria to contemplate uh, whether that will be successful or not. Uh, Neil Bainbridge is going to join us in a sec. But just want to set the scene for this, uh, uh, this issue that's going on about uh, at the moment. We spoke to Andrew Jones, the CEO of Racing Victoria, on Racing Pulse late last week about the VRC application and this is what he had to say. There's nothing sinister going on. There's a full review process and we look at, at uh, you know, what, if anything, we can do to enhance the carnival, whether that be dates, whether that be uh, event support, whether that be um, any other innovations we can add. And, uh, and as part of that process, clubs um, submit and are invited to submit ideas. So it's, it's all part of that process and we're a long way from... All right. making any decisions. Well, that's all well and good, but the bottom line is the VRC wants Cranbourne's, Cranbourne's date and the CEO of Cranbourne off the back of their successful cup meeting is Neil Bainbridge. How are you again, Neil? Very good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. How was the day? Uh, look, it was a fantastic day for the club, uh, no doubt about that. Um, you know, obviously, it, it didn't help when we had, you know, some very heavy showers between 10 and 11 o'clock leading into the event, so, so that was disappointing, but we'll call that a dust settler. 
um, you know, tremendous crowd on course and, um, you know, once again, our track raced uh, outstandingly well and, you know, we, we were delighted with how the day played out. You know, our facilities are in first-class condition. It's a great opportunity for the Spring Carnival to come out to the southeastern suburbs and, and put on a, a spectacular day for a new audience and I think that's really important. Neil, Mick Sharkey here. It was a shame going into the, you know, what is your club's biggest race day, biggest day of the year, that we had this side note of uh, VRC wanting to to perhaps look at the time slot. From your point of view, are we strong enough at the moment racing in, in Victoria that we need to have, I guess, the competition between our clubs when there's so many other pressure points around to worry about? Well, we, certainly disappointing, you know, Cranbourne Cup week for a story like that to come out. Um, but, but I think, you know, as a club, you know, People are always going to submit ideas and, and application for dates, but I think we're just, um, you know, we'll, we'll work through it with Racing Victoria. You know, we're, we're very confident uh, that we'll continue to have this feature date in the Spring Racing Carnival. It's important for the industry, is our view, that it remains out at Cranbourne. And it's important for what we're trying to achieve out here, you know, with the support of Racing Victoria and the Packenham Racing Club. You now, we'll establish a super club in the southeast. Uh, early in the new year, and it's important for that super club, which will race 61 times a year and train a third of the horse population, that it, it has its opportunity to fly the flag in spring and certainly be on Broadway. Um, you know, and, and we absolutely respect and love everything that the VRC does, and, and we've all grown up to do that. Um, but it's our view that, you know, they've got four wonderful opportunities in the Melbourne Cup week um, for, for them to be able to do what they need to, and, and they do it unbelievably well. Um, but Cranbourne needs to be afforded its opportunity in the Spring Carnival. Uh, that's what we've been provided with at the moment, and that's what we'll continue to have for many years to come. I am very confident that Cranbourne will hold this date. But we understand that we need to continue to invest and we need to continue to grow our date. And I don't think it's been any secret for a number of years that the committee out here has long lobbied for, and will continue to do so, that the Cranbourne Cup needs to be run for a million dollars. Uh, to rightly, rightfully sit as one of the features during the Spring Carnival. And that's what we'll continue to work with RV to achieve. What was the mood like on course, Neil? It's Brad Bishop here. Um, the, it's a big community. It's a passionate community down there at Cram. And did they have their backs up, given that, the, as you, you touched on, it was a it was interesting timing the week leading up to Cram and Cup Day that this news broke? Well, I think, Brad, you know, th- this is a great racing town. You know, th- this is arguably Australia's greatest racing town and largest racing town with, not, not only what we do here from a racing point of view, but certainly what we do from a training point of view with a 1,000 horses a day, um, you know, in the country's, you know, best uh, and most elite thoroughbred training facility. So everyone does rally behind it. Uh, and it's great to see that the trainers support the program. You know, the Cranbourne Cup itself, the first five horses past the post were all trained locally, and the sixth horse in pounding was trained out at Packenham. So, you know, there's the support that you need. Uh, they get behind the day. And, and I think we've had... You know, a great outpour of support, you know, both in the media and locally. People, you know, want, expect and demand the Cranbourne Cup will remain in the Spring Carnival. All right. I think it's the waking giant argument about the city of Casey and what things will look like in 10 years' time and to be part of that evolution. <laughs> Three texts. One's quite funny. Is this Ken Hinckley you're interviewing? Sounds exactly the same. So you have a voice doppelganger in Ken Hinckley. 
this is the most poignant text. I think racing needs to be spread around in a vast metro area. Having Cranbourne last Saturday enhances the engagement in the sport, and I think that's exactly where we're coming from with this waking giant sort of argument about Cranbourne and, and the southeast. And great job, Neil B and his team. Great vibe on course and plenty of owners and great racing. That was from JT. Uh, uh, and I think that sums it up as well. So, Neil... Um, Matt, if I, if, yep. if I could say, you know, like, going back many years ago, we, we built three racetracks in metropolitan Melbourne. We're talking probably 100 years ago because that's where the population was and it made sense. Now, the population's moved and Cranbourne is in, is in metropolitan Melbourne and it's only appropriate that this side of metropolitan Melbourne and its population has the opportunity to enjoy the absolute best of racing in its backyard. So as the population's moved, as the centre of Melbourne has moved, um, we in racing, we should also move. And, and that's what we're going to do at Cranbourne. We're going to lobby. We're going to work hard. We're going to make sure that the people out here get their opportunity to enjoy their racing. Just one quick one before we take a break, and the guys might want to jump in on this as well. The, the whole argument of brand track equals increased wagering, well... Over time, those perceptions can change, can't they? Just because it's Flemington, Mooney Valley, Caulfield, Ramwick, Rose Hill now that people gravitate to on the punt, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be that way in 10 years' time. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, look, there's no question that, you know, like 1,000 guineas, I thought it was a very good card. It was $4.5 million in prize money. Um, you know, and then you take, you know, a Cranbourne meeting the week after, which is about $1.8 million in prize money. It's a significant difference. And we feel as though that, you know, we would love and we would welcome the opportunity to be able to put on a day of a similar amount of prize money. And it's our firm belief, based on the information that we have, that we'll also deliver an outstanding, you know, outcome for the bigger picture and the bigger industry. And that is why, like last year and again this year, that we'll not only run a $1 million cup, but it's our application to race in Victoria, that on this day next year, that we'll run a $2 million slot base on Cranbourne Cup Day which will now be exclusive for Cranbourne and Pakenham trainers as we launch the new Super Club in the new year. These slots will be available uh, for anyone to purchase under the condition that you must race a Cranbourne or a Pakenham horse in the slot race. And this is a great opportunity for people to get involved in racing and training uh, at two of the best training facilities in Australia, in Cranbourne and Pakenham. Just on that, uh, with the, the merged club situation, the only difference I think uh, that most people will perceive between Cranbourne and Pakenham is that the Pakenham grass track is oh. one of the best in Australia and perhaps the Cranbourne one's a level below that. If you, you know, with this merged entity in the future, is, is it possible that under the merged entity you could actually run that million dollar race or that slot race or something else at Pakenham yeah. or does it have to be at Cranbourne? Well, I think it's a good point, and I think all those discussions are on the table. What we've said to Racing Victoria is that the new Super Club at the moment has allocated 61 race meetings, and we'll allocate those with the support of RV uh, where they're going to get the best result. And so the best result will take into consideration wagering, it'll take into consideration attendance, uh, timing of tracks. But you're right, you know, the Pakenham Grass track, the course proper out there is, is a sensational facility, and their committee and their track staff in Bryce and his team out there do an unbelievable job. So the, the Super Club's going to have great flexibility, great opportunity to make sure that it sets its product up appropriately to get the best possible outcomes for RV, but also for, for the Super Club going forward as well. So you know, it's an exciting time. You know, uh, speaking to the members here on Saturday about the, the new Super Club, 
overwhelming support, you know, and we've already had numerous comments from trainers that are very keen to see this happen. Yep. You know, it'll expedite capital projects in the southeast, and, and I think, uh, you know, we're going to see an awakening out here very soon. And I look forward to the next 10 years of the community attachment to your super club growing and the, and, and the club doing more than any other club, I would imagine, in trying to uh, furnish that relationship between the race club and the ever-growing community. Hey, good, good on you, Neil. Thanks, mate, and well done on the weekend. Good on you, Matt. Thanks for your support. Neil Bainbridge, the CEO of the Super Club. Uh, Oh, soon to be the CEO of the Super Club. It is 11 minutes to 10. We're going to change tack in the most beautiful way after this break. And how how would you do it in a beautiful way, Shark? Uh, Are you going to serenade the audience? I know you've got a beautiful singing voice. It would involve Debbie Weymouth. Well, that was my second guess. Yes. Debbie and Beck combined for a winner at Packenham, uh, sorry, not Packenham, at uh, Hillsville on Saturday, and we're going to have a chat to the legend after this break. On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is The Verdict. And it's presented by the Pinnacles Perth's Premier Turf Carnival. This Saturday, Crown Perth Winterbottom Stakes Day, perthracing.org.au. Hey, I was a bit disappointed that there wasn't like a twin announcement last week when Gay Waterhouse got her legend status because I thought it could have been Gay and Debbie, to be honest. Okay. Hall of Fame. What do you think, Debbie? Do you reckon, were you expecting an invitation in the mail to the Hall of Fame last week? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) What about the toughest Hall of Fame? Debbie, you're pretty tough. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hey, tell us about Hillsville. You and Beck combined. What was it? Spirited Tiger? Was that the horse? Sleeping Tiger. Uh, Sleeping Tiger. Yes. Well, you woke him up. (laughs) Well, he needed... um, Look, we thought he was a bit better than a picnic horse. Becky brought him online for not much money at all, unraced. And um, his trials have been super. And um, he went to Mornington and uh, his first start, and he got a bad bump at the start. And then he sort of... Oh, I just lost the plot. And... um, kept saying to Becca, it's got more abilities than this anyhow. Um, She'd give him a couple of runs as a professional and he was just like a drunken sailor coming around the corners and um, he'd be there at the top of the straight and he wouldn't finish off. He'd just, you know, dive in and out. So anyway, she said, oh, look, we own him. She said, we'll just take him to the picnics and see if we can get him going. And uh, look, he went super on Saturday, but there's a lot more improvement in him than what he showed on Saturday. He's still not quite there yet. <laughs> what was his SP, Shark? What was it? He was $3.80. Oh, Maddie. Deb, Deb, Deb. We needed to talk. <laughs> we needed to talk on Friday. <laughs> yeah, no, we thought he'd go there and win, but um, he just doesn't know how to quite relax midfield, uh, mid, you know, mid, mid-race. And then um, he sort of, he, he wants to get out at the corners. You've got to help him around the corner. And then... Um, he, he, he just doesn't quite know how to finish it off, you know, uh, yet. So there's a lot of improvement in him. I reckon he, he, he'll win a 58 in, in a couple more starts, but wow. he's just not there yet. How is the track? Because we've lost Alexandra, we've lost Ye, um, uh, you know, Johnny O'Neill and, and Chris Young. They're, they're very good horticulturally, and if anyone could get a picnic track going, it's them. But... Um, I know they had a bit of rain. Uh, do you have a view on this track preparation issue? I've spoken to uh, Danny Walker and a few of the picked and Razor, of course, about about yeah. Is a how did it race? How was the track? And b what's the best way to go about preparing these track? Is it a hands off policy? Is that best? Well, um, look on Saturday. 
um, it was super. Like, um, it was in between a four and a five, and every horse should have handled it. Um, and, and they'd had 20 mil or 15 or 20 mil the night before, and they had put water on, so they really needed it. And, um, no, I thought the, the track was, that they'd done a really good tra- uh, job with the track at Hillsville, because sometimes it can get a bit wet there, you know, because it's mm. down in the dip. Mm. What's been the reaction amongst the picnic jockeys and participants to the the other abandonments this year? Is it of of concern? Are there any theories flying around as to what the best way to to manage these tracks might be? Well, um, what I've been hearing, it's been um, (laughs) a man-made situation. Someone uh, leaving a tap on or something? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, at uh, Alexandra. And um, same at uh, Yay, because apparently they watered at Yay because it was really hard. But at Yay, if people don't know what Yay's like, it's up and down and, uh, you know, in a bit of a dip. And there's a bit of a dip and apparently all the water ran to that dip. And, like, you went from a good four to a heavy eight or heavy nine in that dip. So it's, yeah. (laughs) Mm. All right. Well, hopefully the season will... Uh, go from this point on without any incident. Is this, I know this is a terrible question to ask, are you getting to the stage of thinking when's my last season going to be? Um, well, you have to ask Beck about that because every time I think, <laughs> she comes up, pops up with another horse for me. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There's always um, one always one to keep you interested and keep you involved. Uh, but what was the, the day itself like? Well, um, we like As we've spoken about already on the show today, there's been some meetings lost for various reasons and we're on the other side of um, COVID now. And I've noticed a little bit of a drop-off at some of the Country Cup crowds. What's it been like on the picnic circuit? Or, um, is everyone back to embracing it as much as what they were pre-COVID? Um, well... Yeah, they had a fair field, uh, uh, you know, a fair crowd on Saturday. Um, like, I've seen it, um, uh, the cars parked in the centre more, um, but they had a lot of um, buses come in and they had a lot of marquees. So um, there's quite a f- there was a good crowd there, but, um, like, the cars in the centre, if, if you just took it on that, you think, oh, they're down a bit. But um, uh, there was quite a good crowd there. And at Belnaring... Um, that they had a good crowd. And um, the meeting before at Hillsville, I think they would have been fairly happy with their crowd, yeah. I, I, I know, I think it's, um, you know, the, uh, the first couple of uh, meetings, I think um, they're, all, they're, they're not inundated with people because, um, you know, they've got lots of things going towards Christmas and that. And um, usually the crowds are... You know, in December and January, that they're usually huge because people are looking for things to do. And, you know, um, just at the moment, there's a lot going on. Have they been constant over the last 30 or 40 years, Deb? I mean, we've seen a waning in the city crowds and Cup Week and all that sort of stuff. Is, are the picnic crowds constantly as they are or have they improved or increased in recent years or, or was there a, a halcyon era for the, for the picnic crowds? Well, um, I can remember in the 80s at Belnaring, they were getting six and seven a thousand there, you know. They were parking in the centre. They were, yeah, it was huge at Belnaring. Um, I think it's like the tide that comes and goes a bit, you know. 
Um, but they're getting a younger uh, crowd at the moment. You know, the, the younger ones are um, coming. So I, I think it'll, you know, like it might have uh, weaned off a little bit, as you say, over COVID and that when we weren't allowed to have, um, you know, the crowds. But uh, I, I think it's coming back. Well, that's good to hear. And the younger generation is what racing is trying to cover at the moment. Where are they next weekend, Deb? Uh, they're at Willamide, but I'm going to Yarra Glen. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's Beck's little professional horse. Is that the one that ran at Kiton? Um, no, he's no. This is the one that ran at um, Mornington. He ran third at Mornington last start. All right. Okay. Don't outgrow the picnics on us now. Well, we'll we'll see you there the um, week after that. I know. <laughs> I think we'll have four at um, Belnaring. <laughs> Lovely. Good on you. Hey, well done. You're a legend. Well done again. Thanks very much. Debbie Weymouth there, who is a legend. Gee, racing's, you know, one of the great things about racing is we can be talking about the hard-nosed stuff like the VRC and Cranbourne and track patterns and cancellations, and then there's always a Debbie Weymouth story somewhere. And she had a, she had a shocking fall, didn't she, or, or an yep. accident well, last year? two years ago. Two years ago? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she's well into her 60s. It's incredible that she's riding and... And winning and still has the, the will you, to it compete. It sounds like she might want to give up, but Beck won't let her. <laughs> <laughs> I keep the SMSs coming, and after the break, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about some issues. One of them is uh, John Stensholt in the Oz has written an interesting story about the situation the VRC finds itself in with uh, debt and a potential tab co-op Channel 9 deal looming. John Stensholt's going to explain what that's all about, uh, and then we're going to go into this uh, kind of main subject of the day and it's about these cancelled or abandoned race meetings. Maddie Welsh is going to join us from Race Victoria to tell us about what the policy is uh, and what the future might hold and lots of SMSs and the guys and I'll throw around a few ideas as well. So all that coming up after the news. Placing their opinion on the line it's The Verdict. All right. I think the uh, the issue of the week is the track issues because it's been bubbling along for quite some time. We had Alexandra, Tatura, Witchy Proof, Yay, and then we lost uh, uh, the last five or six races at Kilmore and Kilmore Cup Day. There's nothing worse than losing a cup meeting, and that's what's been happening left, right and centre. Is it just a freaky weather thing, or is it something to do with too many tracks and not enough resources? Uh, Matt Welsh is going to join us from Race Victoria to set the scene to to tell us what the the framework is at the moment. Who gets what? Um, how many tracks have we got? Is there some vision that Racing Victoria has about how to manage this issue? Uh, certainly, the SMS machine's been going off its head about it. Uh, there's a grab from the chief steward yesterday, the steward who was in charge at the meeting, which we'll play in a moment just to reveal what happened at Kilmore. We might even... I just don't have his... Uh, Sam Cochran is his name. This is this was uh, from Racing.com, the ex- explanation from the steward in charge, Sam Cochran, about the circumstances about yesterday at Kilmore. No one had any concerns leading up to, leading up to the event, the day of the event. Um, the first two races were run... No problems at all. No one mentioned anything. It was just finally running a race three. A couple of riders had some concerns, yep. but leading up to that, um, no, we didn't. No one had any concerns. The stewards definitely didn't. And, um, no one mentioned it prior to post race three, I guess. All right. So that was the circumstance from the stewards' point of view. Uh, Anthony Jupp is a bookie who goes around to all these country meetings, and he he came on the Brecky Show this morning. He, he phoned in and. I think what he said crystallises the thoughts of many about what the solution, in inverted commas, might be. And this was Juppie on Brecky. Kilmore struggled to get crowds. And that was as big a crowd as I'd seen at Kilmore for a while. And to have that result, I mean, 
we really do need to ask. Like, I know we it's not the track manager's fault or it's no one's fault. We had a heap of rain and whatnot, but I think we might be getting to the stage where we, we just might have too many tracks for the amount of resources that we have um, available to us here in Victoria. It's a bit sombre, the idea of do we have too many tracks because of the... You know, the fact that communities have historically revolved around them and so on. Maybe retain the clubs, but maybe look at the tracks and maybe, you know, uh, you know the clubs that race at Warrnambool um, that, that have long gone and so on. Maybe that's where we're heading. First reaction, guys, to this this topic. Shark, have you got any thoughts on where we're heading with, with, with tracks and resources and, and all sorts of things like that? Potentially unpopular opinion, but I've long thought that we have too many tracks in Victoria and, you know, queue tirade from people who want everything to stay the same and, you know, tow the everything is awesome wagon, but I don't think it is. You know, your resources can only be spread so far, can't they? And it seems like issues with tracks have become more prevalent, anecdotally, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> in the last five, ten years, mm. you know, uh, mm. it's hard, right? Is, is the bar been raised for the pass mark? Well, you know? maybe it has been. Maybe yeah. that's the other angle. And it's too, harder it? for the people that are looking after the tracks that only race once or twice a year and yeah. can't deal with a heavy downpour of rain um, on the eve of the, the race meeting. It's harder for those guys to get the tracks at that standard that is now required. Yeah, I wonder if there's – and you've been on uh, – country club boards and whatnot, Bish, in your time. Is there a point where we say, what's the benefit of having this venue that only races once, twice, three, four, six times a year, whatever it is, but a small amount compared to other tracks that do the main uh, main bit of the work? Is there a point where we say as an industry, eh, the benefit of keeping this going is probably not, probably not there for the, the crowd, in inverted commas, that likes turning up. Yeah, that, twice that's where it gets tricky. Like a lot of those, like your witchy proofs, which had four years without a crowd, they got crowds back this year. And it's one of the um, most heavily attended race meetings that you see uh, right throughout the year. Manangatang's the same, only race once a year. So they're the clubs that sort of fall into that bracket, but they're doing a really good job of the race meetings that they are putting on and they're probably profitable. Um, it's tends to be the, the ones that like recurring problems like Kilmore's just had no mm. luck whatsoever mm. on since they moved their cup to the back end of November there's probably been about six or seven years and they've probably only completed one or two race meetings just through one reason or another um, and a lot of it is to do with weather I remember one I think it might have been last year's cup got washed out on the morning of the race meeting and then there was another one they ran one race and then it just bucketed down for three hours. There's no way known you could have run a race meeting in those conditions. That's not the fault of the track manager or anyone that put anything into place regarding the meeting, but um, it just seems that um, there are some tracks and some clubs that just have no luck whatsoever, and Kilmore seems to be one of them. And the conversation around rationalisation of tracks, it doesn't have to be tied to this, to, to what happened at Kilmore. It, it, it sort of flows on, doesn't it, Matty, as an extension of... A wider conversation. Are we better off having, you know, in our in our regions? If you look at the map of Victoria and you say, right, here's this area and here's that area, and you identify, right, this track's going to do, it's going to be our our hub in this region. It's going to do the main a number of the meetings, whatever they are. It's going to be supported by this track here, which is close by. 
and you once and twice a year as fill their role around that as long as you know they're, they're still well attended and numbers are there and whatever else but it's more you have that you have that key hub sort yeah. of system well Matt Welsh from Race Victoria is on resources. the line to tap into this conversation and, and I think rationalisation is probably it's the word the R word that it's kind of a bit um, sombre in many ways because you, you think of communities and so but on but we're tightening our belts yeah uh, as a community, globally, like mm, in, in, mm. as a result of lots of different and leadership, influences. Leadership 2000, the document that came out many incarnations ago of Racing Victoria, did talk about hubs and centralised racing and so on. And Matt Welsh is on the line to, to just buy in on this conversation from an RV point of view. How are you, Matt? Very well, Maddie. How are you? Not too bad. This, If the SMS machine is any indication over the last couple of years, this is the issue of the of the year in racing is these cancellations and the frustrations and the future and rationalisation, all sorts of things. Is there a... I, got, I guess RV's observing what's going on with a with, with the long game in mind. What What's RV making of the sort of the syndrome of cancellations at the moment and, and where are we heading with, with, with these clubs and the amount of racing we have and the amount of clubs we have? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, chatting specifically about Kilmore and the, the recent abandonments, I think we need to treat them all as independent, isolated events. They've all got different circumstances that brought about either the the meeting being abandoned prior or as the race meeting had unfolded. So they're not necessarily linked. The issue yesterday at Kilmore is separate to, to what has happened at, say, Yay uh, the week prior. So I don't think it's a, a pattern of the same thing happening over and over again. Uh, it's also important to point out, of course, we don't want to see any of these abandonments. There's no winners in it. The club racing Victoria, country racing Victoria... No one's happy about this, and our tracks and maintenance team have been out there at Kilmore this morning, and they'll conduct an investigation into to the circumstances specific to yesterday's abandonment at Kilmore. But there's no winners. On top of that, you've got the, the trainers who have prepared their horses for these races, set the horses for the races, the staff that have transported them there, and, of course, the owners who pay the bills. They're, uh, they're all relying upon these races going ahead. So it's disappointing, uh, I think, specific to the incident at Kilmore yesterday, the tracks and maintenance team will hopefully get to the bottom of the issue and uh, be able to report on that sooner. But there's no doubt it's a disappointing outcome for Kilmore, and I'm sure no one's more disappointed than the um, the club manager, Ben Murphy. Even though they may be specific uh, incidents and specific causes and so on, but just as far as the bigger picture goes with rationalisation and resources and, and so on, is there a, a likelihood that, um, in time, we'll see maybe not a reduction in the race clubs, but a reduction in the amount of race tracks? Oh, look, I don't think we should conflate the two issues necessarily, and that's a, a much broader discussion that you guys reference. I mean, the community element of all these country clubs and country cups is so important to the fabric of racing. And, Matty, you talk about it when you talk about picnic racing. Mm and ensuring that the picnic clubs are, uh, are able to host their meetings throughout the, the warmer months. It is so important to be engaging the people in those communities because they are important to racing and its fabric. So it's a much broader discussion, certainly uh, not one that's um, specifically underway at the moment. So at the moment, we're committed as Racing Victoria to ensuring um, these clubs and these tracks are maintained, and uh, we'll continue to do, do that in, uh, in the foreseeable future. 
All right, so it's a, I guess it's a watch. It's a watching brief this this summer to to see if this is a, a trend and if the separate individual circumstances continue to be separate or whether there becomes a, a growing theme. So I guess I guess this is a discussion we could probably have more fruitfully in probably March uh, when we've got a bit more data. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, you know, our tracks and maintenance team get try and get to the bottom of each and every incident, and, and they'll do that with Kilmore because we don't want to see it more than anyone else. So, look, uh, again, apologies to all those on behalf of the industry who had uh, relied upon that meeting going ahead at Kilmore yesterday, and certainly to those on track, it's uh, it's a most disappointing outcome, but hopefully one we can learn from. Actually, one recurring theme is a suggestion from a lot of listeners. Some of them are track managers. Some of them have got skin in the game. Some of them are punters. That some of these country tracks don't have the resources to meet the good four improving to a good three requirement mm. and that it just leads to more problems than than had they not uh, been asked to do that, had they sort of kept the hands off the sprinklers and so on. Is the good three to a, is the good four to a good three causing more headaches than solutions for some of these little tracks? Well, I think horse welfare is of the utmost importance and uh, the, the, the veterinary team in conjunction with the tracks team have, have had that policy in place for some time. So, you know, as we've seen with the Melbourne Cup protocols as well, ensuring that our horses get around as safely as possible, as often as possible, is certainly number one priority. There's no doubt there are challenges getting water onto tracks, particularly uh, when it's windy. Um, and, and, and things like that, and with probably not the same machinery that, say, a Flemington has um, in, in order to put that water on. But I, it, in the Kilmore incident, I would say that they had plenty of rainfall in the lead-up to the meeting. So I don't think that uh, in this instance that the, um, the track preparation policy was necessarily uh, directly involved in the outcome. So uh, it's a challenge, there's no doubt about that, but it's also imperative that we prepare surfaces that uh, ensure the safety and well-being of the horses who are competing. Yeah, it's a delicate balance. There's no doubt about that. Thanks, Matt. Good on you. Not a problem, Matty. Cheers. See you up, Matt Welsh, I think that sums it up, boys. It is a delicate balance. You've got the horse welfare argument on the one side. You've got these picnic tracks at the far extreme that have always been a bit rough and ready, and that's the only way they can exist, given the lack of resources and the volunteer community-based way that they're prepared. And one thing I was going to ask you, Bish, you mentioned... Uh, they've lost meetings where they hadn't raced for two or three years because of COVID and so on. I wonder whether, because they didn't, you know, the more you race, the better your track is. I wonder whether because a lot of them have come off such a long time out of not being competed on at all, let alone once a year or twice a year, whether whether there's a bit of a post-COVID difficulty in, in getting them up because they haven't been touched for three years. Yeah, I don't think Kilmore falls into that boat, though. No, like that, I'm that thinking was... more about the bush tracks. Yeah, yeah. 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 The the thing with those co- uh, courses, and, and like Yay, a couple of weeks back, is just whether there has been elevated standards around the picnic tracks, and that's going to be interesting, and we might even see more of those. But just going back to the rationalisation thing, I think Kilmore is a venue that we've touched on they haven't had they've had their share of issues over recent years but it's not a racetrack we should be wanting to um delete from the roster because it's 50 kilometers north of melbourne um it's a good uh, the, the, a lot of trainers that lindsay park it's only half an hour or 45 minutes away from there it's really centrally located and is not a long trip for people that want to come from their horses but how many out of Melbourne does it and the get? like. Isn't it one of the ones that just has repeated problems? Some of them are not Kilmore's fault, but I, I just think um, from a location point of view, it, it's not one of the ones that we really should be trying to put on the back burner because it's um, 
really centrally located and a great place to go and watch racing. No, well, you're a good shark. You want to blow up half of them, don't you? Well, I don't think the conversation is around the three of us sitting here and saying, let's draw a circle around A, B, C, D, and they can all go. I think the conversation is in the context of the sport and as a state-run, you know, Racing Victoria body, does Racing Victoria have enough resources to keep everything going? Should we keep everything going as we look to the next 5, 10, 15 years uh, just for a romantic attachment to communities where we say, oh, this is part of racing? Well, apart from the day where the local cup's on, what's the engagement? Mm, mm, true. And with How do you measure that? You know, is having a local mm, cup, mm. Is, should that be the right to... To have a track that's that's up and about and copying resources for the industry. And without going against the conversation. my community country sort of heartland push, um, Bish, as, as we all know, um, what was once uh, the centre of a community doesn't necessarily mean it is now. Like, young people are leaving these country towns in droves, they're coming to the city. Does the... Is the track the centrepiece of the community now like it was 100 years ago? Yeah. Or, Probably not. And even 10 or 15 years ago, I was at the Kilmore meeting yesterday and, yes, it got caught off after race three, but most of the people that were going were already there by the time the races were called off and the crowd was seemed down on what they were getting even five years ago. And Seymour, I reckon, was also noticeably down on pre-COVID, whether it's just people getting out of the habit of going to the races every year. Like, you go to Seymour Cup, it's the day after Caulfield Cup Day, you knew that every year, but then you have... That, that tr- is another venue that's had its issues with the track, so they haven't had a lot of Seymour Cups in Seymour, and I think that's part of the reason why the crowd... There, was, uh, there has been a bit of a drop-off in the crowd just because of the continuality factor wasn't really there for those people, and they've got to get back into the habit of going. This has caused a lot of SMSs and there's different threads of conversation here as well. And one of them, a, th- a big thread, is that the jockey's too well remunerated these days where it's easier for them to walk away than to compete sometimes. That, that's a a sentiment that's been expressed fewer and fewer than well, the it, trainers. Just on that, it was yep. interesting. The jockeys that made the decision on that meeting yesterday were the riders that were in the two races following race three. So it was the jockeys that were involved in races four and five were the ones that made the call. It wasn't like... You were relying on the guys that had the ride in the cup to be really pushing to get the meeting underway. If they, if those guys didn't have rides in races four or five, they didn't really have a say in what was happening with that meeting yesterday. Shark, how many of the Menangatang, Witchy Proof, Penshurst, Neil Kerrang, Burham Beat Cups, just to name a few. These meetings are so much more fun than ho-hum at closer to city venues. They are, but the, the balance, as Shark says, is for a once-a-year a wow experience... Um, it, does that outweigh, you know, the economic resources issues that are still, well, still lingering? And maybe it does. And maybe the once-a-year tracks are the ones to hang on to. And it's those that might have six, seven, eight, nine that you think, well, can we? Can other tracks take that load? Can can bigger hub venues take that load? Maybe that's how you find your balance. But that's not our job. We're just introducing a conversation. No, exactly right. To, yeah, to no, discuss. We don't have the solutions. We're just flying the kites, basically. We might have a few <laughs> solutions. Uh, uh, boys, uh, this is a complete round-off. Uh, boys, it was days like Saturday at Cranbourne that we missed the great Dean Lester. He would have 
Oh, the SMS machine's just ducked up and down. He would have loved the whole day. Uh, he would have loved it on Saturday. A true legend missed by all, and that's uh, Tom from Tamworth, and we think we might give him a little something, Craig, for anything related to Dean Lester. Lester gets a prize, as far as I'm concerned. And what he gets is a double pass uh, to Ladbrokes Friday night's Lights at the Valley on December 1, so you can come all the way down from Tamworth. <laughs> The Valley is the place to celebrate in December. Don't miss the live entertainment music and heart-pounding racing action. If that doesn't get you down from Tamworth, nothing will. Book online and save at thevalley.com.au. To win that double pass, be the first... No, no, no we've just given it to him. Uh, guys, uh, I just want to play... It's a bit sketchy, but it's nice audio from the most important inclusion in the Racing Hall of Fame. Let's have a listen. You'll know the voice, so let's have a listen. I love racing from the moment I was born. I'm an only child. I was born to a father who was a horse trainer and I was in Tullock Lodge from a very early age and I just loved it. I've never changed and my children love it. I'm married to a bookmaker husband who adores it. You know, so our grandchildren hopefully will, will feel the same. She's had a bit to say too. Like, was it you, Shark, who said last week that Gay's having a real crack at a lot of things at the moment? She's bought into the... Uh, the uh, uh, request from Racing New South Wales to the New South Wales State Government to extend the tenure of Russell Balding, the the Racing uh, New South Wales chairman. She's had a lot to say about that. She's had a lot to say about doll bludges and all sorts of things in recent times. And there was some beautiful imagery of her swimming in the beautiful waters of Perth last week with one of her Perth horses. She, How do we sum up Gay Waterhouse now that she's got that gong for, for um, Hall of Fame? She's a genuine icon, isn't she, of the sport? And I just I love listening to her talk and particularly that little grab. Then you can hear the smile on her face yeah, without seeing the vision. Yeah. You know, she's – it's her life. She's, it's her passion and she's probably in a – she's always been forthright with her opinions, but I like the fact that she's weighing in on some different topics – Brad, I like the fact that she's having a say and she's got a strong opinion. I think it's good for conversation. I think it's it's good for the sport. And it's important because that she does because she is so respected and she's been around for a long time and often speaks a lot of sense as well. Um, and it, it's been interesting to hear the the a few rattling the cage in, in New South Wales just against the yeah. against the, the hierarchy. We haven't really seen that um, over the over recent years. So it's interesting that when someone as well respected as Gay lends her voice to uh, a, an issue like that. And Masara jumped on as well. It's it's the only way, and this I've got to be careful because I get into strife. The only way for the issue of the problem with racing New South Wales is for it to resolve and go away and then we all move on for the greater good, is if they, if they start looking inward. Instead of everyone else saying, oh, this is the problem we have with them, but if the pressure comes from within, then that's the only thing that's going to change things, don't you think? Mm, yep. It, um, it's just it's interesting that, um, that Gay's weighing in on that and um, Jerry Harvey was another one, yeah. uh, or the, the Magic Millions um, organisation as well. Pretty so. heavy hitters having a crack yep. back the other way, aren't they? Mm. Hey, um, just before we go, um, got a little bit of time up our sleeve, and you get you guys get paid too much anyway, so let's just keep going for a while. John Stensolt from the Oz, we couldn't get hold of him today, um, hoping to get hold of him tomorrow to have a chat on Racing Pulse. Interesting story in the Oz today, and I'm, what I'm going to do is just read the first five or six parts just to sort of... Uh, get the feel for what this story is all about. 
Uh, Tab Corp and the Victoria Racing Club are inching closer to finally striking a Melbourne Cup broadcast rights deal with Nine Entertainment that will help alleviate the VRC's increasingly fraught financial situation. The VRC borrowed an additional $15 million from the ANZ during its most recent full financial year and has racked up more than $45 million in operating losses over the past three years. The club's 2023 financial accounts reveal. And just for me to butt in on that, a lot of that's got to do with No Crowds Cup Week and that's their major income stream. Mm-hmm. ANZ, ANZ has now lent the VRC... Uh, about $63.5 million in a facility through the November 2025 that will now only has 20000 unused. So they've spent all of that, the VRC. Another $10 million owing the governing body race in Victoria. And it quotes Steve Rossich explaining the reasons why the VRC financial situation uh, is a bit bleak, but what their plans are to work their way through it in coming years. And then it goes on to explain this potential deal with through Tabcorp with Channel 9, which seems to be something that is a financially good decision for the VRC, but is it for the betterment of racing because we already experienced the Channel 10 four years, which was just haywire as far as I'm concerned for continuity of race broadcasting. Any thoughts, Brad, on all this? Yeah, I think everyone's in the same boat that we want the uh, races on the one channel. Less flicking, the better. And uh, the financials are the thing that really interests me out of that um, story that you read and um, have shown me the full copy of, Matt. Um, And it might explain why the VRC is eager to get every dollar that they can out of these as opposed to maybe taking a bit of a hit and doing it for the betterment of racing um, and agreeing to go with seven. Um, You can understand at least why they're doing what they're doing. Not that we um, necessarily agree with it or consider it the preferred scenario, but I think it explains a little bit why they're going down that path. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you're thinking, Shark, as well? Uh, Yeah, I I think it certainly puts context, doesn't it, the article to to that want to, to go and, and and sell, syndicate, whatever you like, the, those rights to maximise their return on those rights. And I think, look, as they're their own business, they've got to look after them, don't they? And, and what make the decisions they see uh, are the best for their business. The story did shed some light into the financial situation the VRC is in at the moment too, which uh, may be of surprise to some, given it's the most successful race club in the Southern Hemisphere. But, you know, COVID, you know, whacked everyone around and it certainly seems to have had a devastating effect on the the VRC. Uh, there's a bloke here uh, who says, if you've got a bit of time, Matty, uh, I know you've... If you've got a bit of time, Matty, then maybe read out what we are thinking. I know you tell us to keep texting messages coming in, but it's a bit wearing if you don't read them out. And the next one he sent through was... Uh, perhaps a bit litigious uh, regarding Gay. He says she's sounding like a cooker these days, especially when she gets stuck into the unemployed. She's turning into the female equivalent of of a grumpy old man. Well, that's your view. Uh, I'm sure most of us don't agree, but you're entitled to your view. Hey, good on you guys. Thanks for popping in. What's uh, what's on the... uh Leneva, are you going to give fierce impact to Pat and hope he turns into Equinox Shark? He's got a busy day today, Matty. I think he's got a full book today. Yeah, so he's... Uh, yeah, take him up some Cuban cigars. Uh, very fertile. The the a bit day. like you in your prime. Very fertile. He, he can't, have, uh, can't have too much longer to go, can he? The breeding season's sort of 
Why He's just doing it for practice it's, it's now. The, isn't it's now? the beauty of having a fertile stallion at this point of the year, Brad. Machine, where it? others have uh, failed with uh, with other lads. A few are a bit uh, yeah. um, <laughs> bit worn out, are they? Uh, yeah, it's, some it's possibly you, aren't firing like they should. Do you play a role in the process? Is that part of your? Do you roll up the sleeve? Hands or? on. Uh, no, I think it's better for is all that, concerned if I stay in the office. Is that short straws who determines the Although, the hands on role? You would have been proud of me last week. I did some boxes last week. Mucked them out with a rake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was had a very close and personal the conversation. They had a meeting and said, "Well, he's ruined the business. We may as well get him mucking out some boxes." So. Hey, you know, you get those horses when you're in the box and they take a very, very intense interest in what you're doing. A little bit, yeah, can get ner- a little bit yeah, nervous. This yeah. particular written tycoon filly. I don't think she enjoyed me being in her. And you don't in want her to, space. It's like a following C. You don't oh. want to turn your back on, a, no. on an angry horse in a box. No. Hey, Bish, what's happening in your world? Uh, it's, it's lunch season at the ah. moment. It is the VRMA personality lunch of the year season. tomorrow. So we're, I'm just ingling my jet Donovan's? for that. Inglis Donovan's on Thursday, which unfortunately is cricket training night. And as the under-15s coach, I'm required at training. So uh, won't be as long a lunch as it has been in previous years. But and without tipping you in, we went to lunch with Matt Hill about a year ago and, gee, you disappeared well, when Bill came around. I'll be going early too on <laughs> Thursday. So you'll probably uh, you'll probably use that as evidence against me in the, in the uh, future. Yes. Some of these gay haters sound like they've been drinking too much soy milk. So there you go. Hey, gay's polarising, but she's an absolute legend. Good on you, gay. Good on you, guys. Thanks for joining us.